With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. WTF1 presents Hot Takes Wednesday. Hello and welcome back to Hot Takes Wednesday. I'm your friendly neighborhood host, Dre Harrison, and... Well, this is a very special edition of Hot Takes Wednesday, the show with your spicy takes and our even spicier opinions, because we haven't got another member of the WTF1 team with us on this occasion. We've got a very special guest with us on this one. And joining me uh, on the couch on this occasion is uh, Formula One performance coach, Michael Italiano. Michael, good to see you. How's it going? Hey, Dre. Yeah, really good. Thanks, mate. Just uh, just got back from uh, from Miami. So it's uh, it's been it's been a good week. I'm looking forward to a week off now. <laughs> I mean, five races in six weeks. I mean, that that, that cannot be easy. I, mean, I know you're a very fit man, and I know you're 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 you're, you're in peak physical condition. But even even for you, it must be hard doing you know cramming that many races in such a tight space. I mean, we got we got a week off. We got a triple header after this. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't get easier. I mean, the only thing that gets easier is the the flying. You know, no more long haul flights for a while. Oh, that's good. Um, that, is, that that is useful. So- <laughs> yeah, no, no jet lag, but uh, yeah, I'm not going to say that I've got it hard because the drivers definitely got it more difficult than us. One hundred percent, without without question. Now, for those who maybe don't know you quite so well, um, you know, you are a, an F1 performance coach, and uh, like that is quite a unique role. We don't hear a lot on a lot about your sort of role within an F1 team very often. It's it's a bit low profile, so how like what exactly for those who don't know is your role within an f1 team how like how close are your ties with the drivers and what what's it like over a a week a race weekend etc yeah so i guess the first thing the obvious one is uh, race support so that's probably the the number one role where we're required to come to every race um and uh, provide race support to your allocated driver so for me yuki i'll make sure that uh Everything's kind of aligned for him over the race weekend. So I'll send through like his nutritional plan to the chefs uh, on the Monday or Tuesday so they can prepare the ingredients and, you know, talk about anything that they need specifically. Um, I'll set up our race room. So, you know, get our massage bed ready, get all his uniforms aligned, make sure we've got five pairs of everything. So he's, oh, wow. know, mm-hmm. so he's got a fresh, you know, so he's got a fresh suit for every, every session, just little things like that. Right. Because he, he kind of, you want to make sure that everything's aligned so he doesn't have to think everything's just kind of very seamless for him. Hmm. Um, you know, I set up, I, I prepare his supplementation every day. So making sure it's, it's all ready to go. So every morning he can just grab it and, t- and take it. Doesn't have to think about it. Um, uh, do his helmets. So, you know, sometimes, especially over Miami, um, you know, preparing a, a dark visor and, and a light medium visor in case, you know, we had a cloudy day and, hmm. and we did on the Sunday, we had to quickly change helmets on the grid. So you want to prepare uh, you know, two to three helmets, depending on the weather, because because the weather can change quite quickly on you in some places. So yeah, there's actually quite a lot to do at the track from from my standpoint. Um, obviously, warming them up as well. So I'll warm up Yuki before every session, uh, and that involves like a bit a bit of massage, and then just um, pre-activating some some of the, the common muscle groups that we use in the car. So we we'll use some bands and do some some dynamic work, 
and then we do some reactions in the, in in the, in the room and then off we go to the garage so um yeah and then probably the last thing is probably like scheduling as well <laughs> you know he, one thing i guess he just wants to go to bed and be told what time he needs to wake <laughs> up and, and what time he has to be in the car so you know that even from a scheduling standpoint i'll be on it and be like yep cool i want you up at this time we're going to do 30 minutes of mobility and then we're going to be in the car for 9 because we have to be at the track for 9:30 because your first your first meet and greet is at 10 so like yeah you kind of you, you're there for him so that way he can just ask you the questions and you're just you're the person that hopefully has all the answers <laughs> yeah so it's, it's amazing so you're basically just lining up all these hoops for your driver to jump through just to make that weekend experience as smooth as possible yeah exactly you don't want them exerting unnecessary energy um when they don't need to right you just want them sleeping well in a very good mindset and you want to make sure that they're just yeah like i said like you want the weekend to be seamless for them so they can just rock up do their thing and uh hopefully perform at a, at a very very high level so that's uh i guess that's kind of like my job in a nutshell obviously there's a lot more that goes on outside of race weekends where we're training a lot um and you know structuring um training blocks to ensure that he's hit, still hitting his fitness goals as well and from a mental aspect as well there's there's a couple of things we work on as well where um, specifically with yuki where you know we can definitely improve on from a from a, from a mental standpoint that we do outside of the, the race weekends so yeah, it's definitely a full-time job. Um, oh, 100%, I can imagine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think it's a bit more than a full-time job if you're, if you're getting flights and it's just, it's just rampant wall-to-wall, everything has to be in place, all that yeah. planning. It, it, it sounds crazy. Yeah, I, I think... Um... Honestly, I'm. I almost feel like I'm. It prepares you well for parenthood, you know. Because <laughs> in a way, you do. You feel like a parent sometimes, you know, making sure that everything's aligned for them. Like, you know, the meals are ready for them. That you know, they're feeling good. They're happy. You know, you're 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 very self. You're, like you're living a very selfless job, right? Because yeah. you know, they come first, not you. Of course. So, uh, yeah, it's a. Uh, I mean, I'll let you know when I have my first kid whether that's accurate or not. But, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll bring you back and we'll compare. Yeah, done. <laughs> I had to ask as well because we're both we're, our backgrounds. We're both we were both office people. I was a bookies guy growing up, um, and that was my office for for many many years. How do you all of a sudden make that leap from you know that nine to five office life to being a part of the F one traveling circus? Because that is a hell of a transition. Yeah, I, I won't lie. It was probably I'm going to say the probably the busiest six months of my life. Uh, so to to give people a bit a bit of a perspective on what I was doing, I was I was in a full time role um, working in mining in in Perth, WA, and I couldn't just leave my job and then and then and then walk into being a coach or starting off as like a personal trainer because I had no clients. Um, and I had a house at a time, I had the mortgage. So, you know, the, the standard financial burdens that everyone's kind of, uh, so I was like, what do I do? So, uh, I decided that I'm going to go to the gym 6am to 8.30am and work for two and a half hours in, in the gym and trying to, to build clients. And then from 9am to, to 5pm, I'll work my eight hours in the office and then I'll go straight at 5pm back to the gym and worked there till 8.30 p.m. Oh, wow. And I did that for, yeah, three to four, probably five months of literally just working 14-hour days. 
Um, my office job didn't know I was doing that. <laughs> oh, wow. I can imagine as well. It's like, yeah. So, Michael, how come you coming into work so tired? Uh, <laughs> yeah, but, I, you know, I was still doing my 40-hour week. So, I, you know, I made sure that I wasn't letting my my actual work slip. But then I was going into gym pre and, pre and post those, those, those hours. And eventually, I think I got to like 15 clients and I was like, okay. And then, you know, you do, you do your finan- financial maths and you're like, okay, I can... I can live off this for three months, but then hopefully by then you're, you're building from there. And then, and then I, and then I eventually um, I made the transition that way and, and um, yeah, resigned from my job and went straight full-time into, into coaching. So yeah, it, it was definitely tough, but uh, all of a sudden it just moved so quick. You know, I was coaching for two years and then I got an opportunity with Daniel Ricardo to, to come on board in the Formula One circuit circuit. So um, yeah, part of me, like, a lot of people around me, including my parents, didn't want me to transition. They're like, you know, you've got oh, a good wow. job, you've got a stable income, you know, there's there's a lot of promise to, to move up the ranks. You know, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> Which I understand, right? Like they're looking out for you. They're, of they're, course. Not, they're not coming from a bad place. They're uh they just want to make sure that their their, their kids are, are looked after. So yeah, I was uh I was quite stubborn and went ahead with it, and I'm so glad I did and and stuck to my guns because uh I never would have dreamt that I'd I'd be literally here uh, in five years' time. I mean, let, let's be honest with each other here. Working in Formula One as a performance coach sounds a lot cooler than mining, though, right? Like, like, like let's be real here. Yeah, no, a hundred percent, and and not wearing the, the the black business shoes and wearing some some comfy sneakers every day definitely helps. One hundred percent, I can only imagine. So, should we talk a little F one, Michael? Yeah, let's let's go for it. Let's talk a little F one for those who are new to Hot Takes Wednesday, because I always say every podcast is someone's first. Here's how it goes: You, the wonderful WTF one audience, we put out a special request for some of you guys to send in your takes to to us and Michael um, to you know talk a little bit about F one in general, your hot takes regarding the sport at large, and then we'll have a little bit of a back and forth between us, and then we'll score that take on a scale of one to five. One being that we strongly disagree. Five being that we strongly agree with the take. So we'll have a little bit of back and forth on that. If both of us score a one or a five on a topic, it will go into our special vault for the hottest and coldest takes of the year for 2023. Who knows? Maybe we'll we'll, we'll have a couple of more entries into that file by the end of this recording. So let's go into Hot Takes Wednesday. Our first take comes from a friend of the show, Jonty's Corner. And Jonty's Corner on Twitter has sent us in, quote, no one will remember this F1 season by 2027. I love that we started nice and soft on this one to start us off. I know podcasts are not a visual medium normally, but you, you can see Michael gritting his teeth as I was reading that one out. Um, John T. Tonner saying, no one will remember details of this F1 season by 2027. I, I, I'm going to assume this is probably quite cynical, Michael, because of, you know, let's be honest, it's 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 a bit dominant for uh, your older siblings team rebel at the moment it's 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 they've won every race so far um maybe not the most thrilling of uh on track action either but what have you made of it from from the from the other side of the paddock so far yeah look i mean i'm obviously purely focusing on the process with yuki mm. uh, we've had an amazing five races oh i'd, uh, I'd agree so um more on him later <laughs> yeah so like from from my standpoint you know, it's a very significant year for me personally because it's my first year with Yuki, and and this is a very important year for him. Um, I would have to disagree with that. I only because, and this is my reason, is because I think Red Bull are, are going to break 
record after record this year. So I don't think this year will be forgotten. Yes, it might be the most boring year, but I don't think it'll be forgotten. I think it'll be one of the, the one of the most iconic years of just record breaking from a pure dominance perspective. Like, yes, we've seen it from Mercedes, but I think they've, t- I think Red Bull this year have taken it to another level. Like, mm. a lot of it was 23 seconds off Max. And let's be honest, Max started P9. So, yeah. If Max was P2 or P1 from qualifying, he probably would have won it by 40 seconds. So that <laughs> shows you how far first is from second. So I'm going to disagree with that take. I, I do think it's going to be remembered um, purely because of the, the the dominance of Red Bull. I love the angle that you went you went there. Not it's like, oh, this is boring. This is dreadful. No, no, no. We're going to break records this year. I, <laughs> I, I love that. That is very slick, Michael. I, I, do, I do respect it. I mean, that in a good way. I mean, I, I, I like I like where you're coming from. I mean, maybe from an entertainment standpoint, it's not going to be the most captivating thing in the world. And, you know, that's, yeah. I, I think, the nature of sports sometimes in general. I mean, I'm talking to an Australian. I'm a cricket fan. I know exactly how this feels um, on, on many occasions, let me tell you. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I actually do get what you're saying in the sense of, Maybe Red Bull runs the table, which has never been done in an F1 season before. They they've got I think they've got a real genuine opportunity to win every single race this year. It's going to take probably some major shenanigans for that for them not to win a race. Um, because even if Max has a bad day, Sergio is good enough to still finish second every week. And if Max has a an off day, Perez has gone on to win a couple of these so far this year already. So maybe that will stand out. I mean. I know it's not the most thrilling thing in the world, Michael, but you know you 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 got to tip a little bit of a hat to just what they're doing at the moment, right? No, no, you have to. Like all respect to them, they've been chasing tails. They've been chasing Mercedes' tail for seven years, right? So you got to realize, like they're they're that they've been hungry for so long, and now they're finally on top. So they're they're not going to slow down, right? Um, but yeah, look, I, I think you know you got to take take what you're given. I think the rebel dominance you have to appreciate. Um, you know, hopefully Sergio puts up a fight, like he's putting up a really good fight. So maybe, maybe there is a an interesting championship race by the end of the year that that could still be that could still bring some entertainment. Um, and you know, there's obviously the the obvious va- first race in Vegas. So I guess there's a bit of intrigue there as well. Oh, of course, yeah. So there's still a little bit to look forward to. I hope. Um, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> I love that he said, "I hope" at the end of that sentence. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, I guess from my standpoint, like. You know, we're AlphaTauri. We're bringing a big upgrade in MLR, so I'm really excited for this year. I really am. Like again, this is purely from from where I stand. Is like just helping Yuki progress and and you know, I guess just trying to sustain himself as as a top driver, which is something that we're trying to achieve right now. Absolutely, and like I said there's, there is a we had to pick one Yuki take in there, and there is one coming up later. I can yeah. I can spoil a little bit of that coming up, but uh, are you going to go two on the scale for that one, Michael? That's where I'm going with this. I think yeah. I think I think you're absolutely right. I think the record breaking side of it, if if you if they run the table, they're going to remember this forever. That's like, going to be. Yeah, a plinth, I'd say, say so. We're both going to go two on that one, but uh, thanks for that one, John C. Great take. Uh, we've got um, Errol, Errol Ardam on Twitter, who sends uh, this take in says, quote, The only thing that isn't giving us good races and overtakes is the size of the cars, too big and heavy. Must be a Formula E fan. Um, <laughs> that's that's uh, Errol said, The only thing that isn't giving us good races and overtakes is the size of the cars, too big and heavy. I mean, 
What do you make of that, Mike? Is like is the hybrid era causing a problem of how big these cars are? I mean, how are you finding the on track action? And you know, you, you you don't have to worry about the team on this one. This is purely you as a fan. I know you've been around a little while now. I'm sure you've seen multiple eras. How do you feel about about these cars in general? Yeah, look, um, I mean, my my opinion is is quite it's quite influenced based on my chat with, with, with my drivers. Um, oh, I'm sure that some of them, we get some inside the knowledge here. I love it. <laughs> yeah, so obviously you want to, you kind of want to understand like their opinion and why. Um, so I'm a bit torn here and I'll tell you why. So like, I, I agree. I, I think the cars are too heavy and too big. There's too many blind spots for these guys. So, you know, even off the start line, I think we're seeing a lot of, a lot of shunts in, in laps one to three because mm. They just they can't see each other, and the truth is, like they're just assuming. You always just have to assume someone's there, so you, you just give space. I do think if the cars were were, were lighter and also smaller, and um, where they could actually see, I think you'd see some probably more aggressive and better racing. Um, but then, on the contrary, I think the reason why they're they're heavier is because of the safety standards. So the, you know they're trying to make the cars a lot more safer with like the halo, and and so like. That obviously increases the weight of the car. So, yeah, it, it's a tough one because, like, yes, it probably does it does skew the entertainment factor, but they're also doing some really, really positive things when it comes to increasing the safety of this sport because, as we all know, it's it's a very dangerous sport. Indeed, and, you know, it, I, I think I speak for a lot of people where I say I will happily sacrifice a little bit of entertainment value if I know there's a much greater chance of getting everybody back home after a race 100%. okay. 100%. 100%. And yeah, I mean, it's it's an intriguing perspective because you've already had a couple of, you know, lap one spills. I mean, your home Grand Prix in Australia, we had a couple of restarts and that, that last one was, uh, was we had three separate incidents all go down at the same time off the same restart. Um, and everybody complained a little bit about cold tires and it was a bit low in the sun. But and even Miami the whole, last week, we had Yuki's teammate Nick, unfortunately, have a bit of a, a collision with Lando and um, Hamilton, I, 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 what, I don't know if you noticed it on the radio, but Hamilton thought he actually hit someone off that lap one start, but actually he didn't. So maybe you, you, I think you've got a lot, a lot of validity to what you're saying about lack of visibility in general, which probably isn't helping. Yeah, exactly. They, they honestly, they, they don't, they honestly don't see each other. And then in a wet race with the spray that these cars, produce, that's even worse. They're, they're literally going in blind. So. Yeah, like I said, there's a tough one. There's definitely pros and cons for both. Um, yeah, that's that's a that's a that's a very open ended question. I think you could just you could go both ways on that one. Definitely. Um, me personally, I I don't think the ride heights are helping. I think that um, you know we're, we're in that ground effect era again. Now we've 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 dabbled back into that. Um, phase of, of car development. I thought I thought last year we actually had quite a few very, very good races, even if there wasn't maybe the intrigue of a title fight underneath it all. I actually thought the overall quality of racing is good. I think that we've actually slipped a little bit. I mean, has Yuki spoken to you about dirty air and following a little bit? Because it seems like it's a little bit worse than what we've had in 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 like compared to last year, for instance. Yeah, I think last year was a lot easier to follow. Um, that was that was kind of I think the the genuine consensus. But I think yeah, th this year I'll, I'll be honest, it's been not too bad. I think Yuki had quite a few overtakes on the weekend, so I noticed. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's 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 not too bad. Um, there were some comments 
again, like that the, the DRS isn't probably as strong as what it is as what it used to They've be. They've shortened a few zones. The zones are back here. They took a hundred meters off Miami. They took like, seventy-five off two of the zones. So yeah, so you obviously you saw that effect big time in in Baku. Um, so yeah, whether, whether that's 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 probably not helping from an entertainment factor as well. That's probably also a contributing factor. Um, but yeah, I like I said, I think uh, can I sit on the fence with that one? Can I scale it? Like, can you, can you say three and and say yeah, to, sure. in, go, I was going to say three. I'll say three. I think that's valid. I think that's absolutely yeah. valid. I think there's a lot of different little elements, and I didn't even consider the visibility angle side of the, yeah. you know, how raceable a car is because we don't think about that as probably as more casual fans. We sit back and we probably don't even think about things like that. Um, we we probably oh. just go, well, how many overtakes did this race have? Or, you know, oh, this DRS is terrible or this DRS is great and dirty air, but I never actually looked at it from a visibility angle before. And that's actually a very valid point. I might actually agree with you on this one. I was going to go four, but now I've actually come down a bit because I'm hearing <laughs> your perspective is actually quite interesting. So okay. I, I think I'm going to go down to a three. I don't normally sit on the fence with your takes like this, but <laughs> I think this one is certainly valid. Uh, thanks for sending that in, Errol. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Uh, Amy J is next up. Um, Amy J with, with, with the take of F1's popularity in the US has peaked already and either Miami or Vegas will be dropped from the calendar by 2028. Wow. There's a, there's, there's a lot to unpack on that one. One more time from Amy J. F1's popularity in the US has peaked and either Miami or Vegas will be dropped from the calendar by 2028 after falling ticket sales and prices. Interesting. I mean, what was the buzz like for you in Miami? Cause like, I know they, the, the sport were very quick to, you know, jump up and down and say we had 270 K was 30, 30,000 more than last year. I did, I didn't notice that on the broadcast. I mean, what was Miami like as a vibe? Because uh, you could tell F one's going big on, on the American rounds. Yeah. Look, I'm, <clears throat> I'm, I'm going to be brutally, brutally honest. Miami, great place. Um, I thought last year, they they definitely could have improved a few things, and then they've come in this year and they've made those improvements in the paddock. It was it was a bit a little bit too condensed. It was it was quite there was a lot of mayhem. You couldn't even walk on the grid after the national anthem. Um, <clears throat> there was that many people on the grid, but this year they made the improvements. Um, I will say yes, okay. There's there's a lot of people attending, but I I, I don't really feel the, the the race like the race intensity and the race atmosphere like like you would. At a European, a European race, um, maybe that's because it doesn't bring the true diehard race fans, and it brings a different type of diverse crowd, which you know is okay, and which is still good in a way, right? It's, it's bringing different people to to, to the race. Um, yeah, I mean, look, I, I, I like different experiences, right? So I do like, you know, this is the first race where you're actually in a stadium. I, I thought it was pretty damn cool, <laughs> to be honest, and I, I like coming to America. I think what they do. From, from a sports perspective, I think it's the best in the world. Um, so I would, 
I, I strongly disagree with her first phrase where she reckons it's um uh what, what did what did Amy say? She said it's gonna be it's yeah, gonna be they, about. They, they they've already peaked. And, and, uh, okay, uh, I, I strongly disagree with that. But then her second part where it talks about either Miami or Vegas to be dropped, I can see Miami being dropped. Really? The only reason why I say that is because the, I, I've <laughs> they've spent a lot of money uh on on this track and i just don't know if that's going to be sustainable or not um so yes i wouldn't be surprised if one of those got dropped um so yeah i i, I disagree with her, her first part of her of her, her statement but i i kind of agree with her last part so that might put me on the fence again but yeah <laughs> i mean i'll tell you how i feel but i mean from a tv outsider standpoint from the other side other side of the paddock I get the vibe that Miami was more for the influencer and more for the, you know, higher class, maybe not the 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 the, the biggest of diehard race fans. And I think a little bit of that is okay. I mean, that's understandable. Yeah. It's a popular round. It's a social event as much as it is a race weekend. And we, yeah. we are, we're not all diehard race fans. Some people are just here for a good time. We're here for some entertainment. Um, so I, I, I could certainly get that impression. F1 wants to go hard on America. It's more than obvious. They're promoting this race. They're going to Vegas um, a little bit later this year. Um, we've gone from one US race to three very quickly. Um, will that hold up? I don't know. I know they were they were basically giving away tickets by the end because there was discounts galore. They were uh, I heard they were emailing people quite aggressively um, in the final um, days and weeks leading up to the event. That's not a great sign that um, you're holding you're holding steady. Um, so I much I I I honestly I didn't buy. There was ninety thousand there on day one. I I saw those grandstands. They were half empty on Friday. I I, I they may maybe they had ninety thousand tickets sold, but I, there was certainly not ninety thousand people in the house. No, trust me. Friday was empty, and I was like, okay, right. very different to last year. Um, but thank you for confirming my suspicions because that's exactly what I thought when I was watching free practice on Friday because I was like, there's no way 90,000 people rolled up on day one. Um, so I, I think they can fit 70,000 in Paddock Club and that was that's upstairs and I can't go there. So unless mm. there's 70,000 up there, which I highly doubt, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, I'm glad you feel that way. Um, I mean, they could always just go to a, a different American venue. I know there was rumors about Long Beach over over the other side in, in California. That's certainly a possibility. I, I mean, Amy's take says by 2028. So you're giving it five years. I'm not sure if we're still going to if there's still going to be this level of excitement. Whether you're still going to get the big name celebrities because that was a lot of them down there this week. You had Tyreek Hill, and um, he was in the Alpine garage. You had Roger Federer. James Marsden. Did you, did you meet anyone cool? No, I didn't. I didn't meet them, but yeah, like on the, on the grid. Uh, yeah. You, you, you see them all. So it's actually pretty cool. I got quite starstruck when I saw Roger. He's a oh, yeah. bigger idol of mine, but, but yeah, unless they keep paying the celebrities to come. Um, yeah. It is a tough one because let's be honest, like sport in America is, is massive and they do yeah. sport very well. Right. So you know, if, if the nation really t takes a hold of, of formula one, it, it really could, be exponential of the growth there but um yeah i don't know i i, I love the og in in austin it brings the diehard american fans and the, the crowd is just amazing but yeah 2028 
Oh, what are you going? I'm still a bit torn here. <laughs> I, I'm I'm a bit torn as well. I'm I'm kind of on the fence because like it's hard to predict five years out. I uh, I'm not sure this holds. I'm leaning towards agreeing with Amy on this one. So I'm gonna I'm gonna go four on this one. I actually think there is a good chance they might outkick their coverage and start putting some fans off because I'm a feud sports fan. I'll give you an example. I used to, I used to watch a lot of mixed martial arts when the UFC was growing. For example, they went from like 12 events a year to 20 to 30 very, very quickly. When you start making fans choose, that's when you start losing people because they can't afford to keep up with the sport. And having yeah. th- if, if, if you're going to choose between Miami and Vegas, I think a lot of people that sit on the fence are going to choose Vegas. Yep. Because it's Vegas, it's you know, it's it's you. That, that's already a massive tourist spot, probably a bit more than Miami is. So, I'm going to go four on this one, Michael. I don't know how you how you feel about it, but that's where I'm going. Yeah, I'm, I'm probably going to go a four. One other aspect I probably didn't consider is like Drive to Survive. I reckon that will definitely out, and I think when that fizzes out, that will probably affect the American market as well. So, yeah, all right, I'll, I'm going to go a four as well. Interesting. I, I, I do think that's a very intriguing thing. It's a fantastic take, Amy. A lot to think about there. And there's a lot of different ways you can you can look at that one. That's a very, very intriguing indeed. I'm curious to see what F1 does because they've been trying to crack America for years. It's not exactly subtle. I mean, uh, we, we, we had proper almost WrestleMania style intros before that race. He was like, I've got to ask about that. Like, were you a fan of that? Because there's been a lot of talk about that on social media. And um, we've noticed in the last couple of days. How, how do you feel about the driver intros real quick? <laughs> uh, I'm not a fan because it cut it cut our warm-up by about four or five minutes. Because you know nah, that I did hear about this. So that's I think that's why a lot of the drivers are quite grumpy about it. Yeah, because it was it was hot on the grid. So you so you, you that was standing on the grid for like six minutes in this heat. And it's like, guys, you're just like they're sweating, and it's like, like it just it's not good for the for for them just to prepare. Like, get out of the garage, just stay in the shade. We do like our, our last little prep drills, and then you just want to go straight into the national anthem, straight in the car. To have them stand out there, no, it was it was a it was quite an inconvenience from a from a performance perspective. Like, from oh a- yeah, I, I I could certainly see why. I mean, there wasn't a lot of interaction. I mean, look. The Americans do pageantry better than almost any country in the world. So, like, and as a big American sports fan, I, I I was completely fine with it. But from a driving and performance standpoint, I can completely see why that might irk some people. And, and last bit, the, the 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 athletes also have to be invested in it, right? Right, hundred percent. Like you know, if you look at the NBA when they're calling out their names, the players are invested in it. You know, they 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 they're up and about. You know, like. It just felt a bit awkward because you had half of the drivers weren't really invested, and like oh, walk past, wave, hurry up, yeah, <laughs> like we yeah, wanna, yeah. Where some other people were like quite excited about it, so I feel like yeah, you need to have the yeah, you need to have the athletes invested in it if you're going to do something like that. Hundred percent, hundred percent. I mean, I think, I think it was only maybe three of the twenty that were actually played into. I mean, though, I know Logan did because it's a home race for him. I know. Hamilton's a huge LL Cool J fans. He was always going to do that. I think Max did as well, but half of them was just power walking down the line. Where's the car? Where's yeah. the anthem spot? <laughs> and, yeah, and, uh, I, don't, I do respect the fact that your man Yuki did did the did the CR7 celebration uh, as he got out to his spot. Well, that, that, that got him some fans, I think. So that was uh, quite, <laughs> quite, quite a cool gesture. So like, at least Yuki's getting getting the agenda. I do, I do respect yeah. that. A uh, couple more takes to go. We've got one from the Devil's Bean Coffee on Twitter. So Devil's Bean says, 
If F1 insist on repeating the Baku format, then Friday should be quaddy for Sunday, but the same quaddy used as a reverse grid for the sprint race and to make it more exciting. I've cut the words out a little bit because it's a little bit wordy, but uh, the general gist, I think, is regarding the sprint shootout, the format change that we had in Baku. Um, so Devil's Bean is, is, is suggesting we go more towards something down the reverse grid line. Now... I don't know. I, to, to ask you to first and foremost, Michael, how did you feel about the sprint format changing in Baku? Because it was a bit last minute. It was a little bit scrambled together. Um, like I'd, I'd love to obviously hear a driver's perspective. Well, if you spoke to Yuki about it as well, um, I'd love to hear if, if there was any insight into that because it's. I think it's a very divisive sort of topic. Yeah, very divisive. Um, Yuki's a big fan. He was a big fan of it. Ah, I see. Liked it. Um. I liked the new format, um, but in saying that, I don't. I wouldn't like that every weekend. I think it's mm. just too much. Um, not just from the drivers, but also just the teams, like the mechanics. Like there's just so much more work to do, and I just think you would you would burn them out, um, especially under cost caps. You you wouldn't you could wouldn't be able to you know employ more mechanics, so then you could switch them for races. You couldn't do that. So like you know they're, they've already got it tough as it is. So I don't think that's sustainable. Um, so yeah, I, I do like the odd sprint race here and there. Reverse grid, I'm open to it because at the end of the day, like, you know, Formula One are trying new things. I watch Formula Two with a lot of interest. I love watching the junior guys come oh, come wow. the ranks. And, you know, in Formula Two, they they do reverse grid. And I really like those reverse grid sprint races. It kind of it brings out character in in the drivers and you kind of see like who does well midfield, who who does well when, when they're in the lead and when they're not in the lead, like like what what how does their driving change and you, and you actually you actually find out quite a lot about drivers um when you, you know you put them in different scenarios rather than just always always in the front row if you're in a dominant car so um yeah i i'm open to seeing that you know i i think it's it's definitely a success in f2 and you know if that means you can get a little bit more entertainment out of a sprint race um with the red bulls starting ninth and tenth uh <laughs> <laughs> well likely um yeah seeing if they can see if they can punch through the, through the through the the rankings in in 20 laps or so i think that'd be quite cool i'm going to do something i don't think i've done since i started hosting this format of the show i'm going to go 5 uh, and i'll tell you why i'm going to go 5 on this one because I, I i completely agree with you devil bean scoffy i completely agree with you and there is the reason why like first and foremost as i got a quick tangent I completely agree that this shouldn't be an every weekend thing because you are going to blow your staff up. I, it's because it, I don't know if you watch MotoGP, Michael, but they've gone very similar with the whole sprint race as well over the over over a weekend. And every rider I've heard interviewed about it has said it's now just so intense. Everything is now you're on it from the the first minute you're on the bike till the end of Sunday. It's just it is relentless, and I can feel it being the way the way with F1 as well, where you're now on it from the start you've only got an hour of free practice and now it's all meaningful action after that from that point onwards i mean going from three practice sessions to one is a, quite the shift and i think again there's an argument you can have for it and I, I and i don't i don't mind it as a concept overall but i could certainly see how that would blow some people up um the changes I generally have liked. Um, this the shootout is far better than a park firm made FP two. That just serves no purpose whatsoever. Mm. Um, uh, I, I so I I I think 
the sprint doesn't solve the problem of, and I think the real problem is the action that F1 is providing right now. I don't think the format is the issue. And I still think the sprint as a whole is a bit too safe. If you're hypothetical scenario, if you're someone like Nico Hulkenberg, and let's say you're starting this sprint from 15th place, you've got to gain seven spots to get one point because sprint pays only down to eighth. There's no point. You're not going to do that in a hundred kilometers of running or a third of race distance. Um, and I also think, on the engine. yeah. And I also think it gives a bit too much away in terms of how the Grand Prix will go on a Sunday. I think reverse grids do a pretty good job of masking some of that entry because you'll get more action. You won't give away precisely at least I think you won't give away so easily how the Grand Prix will go on Sunday. So you're not devaluing the Grand Prix so much. Um, and I think we're ready for it. As like you said, if you watch the juniors, because we both do, reverse grids are often a great indication of determining talent. And the reason they, the entire reason they brought reverse grids in was to avoid people just dominating weekends. Yeah. Like, and it it makes uh, I, th- I think it it tells you more about a driver and their adversity and their their skill set if they can come through the field a little bit more consistently over the course of a weekend. So with all that in mind, I think you if you're going to change your weekend format, which I think generally most people like yep. as it is, go all the way with it. Go reverse grids, maybe reverse the top ten. Yeah. Um similar to f2 in that sense maybe be a bit more generous on points i wouldn't even mind them going to f2 where it's like 15 points for the win rather than eight um reward aggression a little bit more um i'm gonna go five i i'm i am all for this change i i i don't think think i've done a five since i started here oh really Uh, i think this is the first time i've ever gone five if it is it's very very slim i've not gone five very often at all i think this is the first one i've ever done it with and i completely agree with you devil's mean coffee i'm with you 100 percent. it's time for reverse grids in f1 um are you in the same camp as me yeah i am i am i'm I'm gonna go five as well you know especially like you know in my situation right now you rock up to race weekends and you don't really know what what you're going to get being being in a in, in a lower team. And I think if you had something like that where it's a reverse grid, all of a sudden there's that it's a little bit more extra bit of motivation that will go in the team because it's like, oh, hang on a second, you know, if we get quality right and we've got that reverse grid, we can actually just at least have a pretty dumb exciting Saturday, right? Like because right. we all know that you know our, our potential on Sunday is it's it's um we have a barrier, right? So there's only so far we can go unless we have some luck. But uh, I think that would also bring in, like I said, there's the smaller teams that have a bit more sense of excitement and chance to make, to, to, to win more championship points. So yeah, five. Yeah. Well, I'm with you on that one, Michael, 110%. Uh, take number five is from Owen Bagley, who says, uh, and this is the Sonoda brace take that I was preparing you for. Uh, Sonoda has great potential and could defo be a race winner later in his career with the right car, maybe even a champion. Eyeball emoji. I love that. I love that just chucked in the the eyes emoji there. Just, 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 just to just to uh, you know give give it add a little extra curiosity. Sonoda has great potential and could defo be a race winner later in his career with the right car, maybe even a champion. Now, I'm not just saying this because Michael is here and the Izuki Sonoda's <laughs> performance coach, I promise. 
I genuinely think Zuno has been one of the drivers of the year so far. I think he's been exceptional this year. I think he has clearly taken a step up. I mean, let's be honest, Pierre Gasly was probably a little bit better in the two years when they were together before he's gone off to Alpine. They've probably needed Sonoda to step up now that Nick DeFries is a talent. You know, I know he's won another series. He's a talented driver in his own right, but Sonoda's got the added experience now. He's probably going to be... I, I saw Franz Toss say that, you know, we need Q3s and points. Um, yeah. And Sonoda's doing that. I, I mean, I don't know how you feel about it on the outside looking in, Michael, but I've, I think he's been very impressive this year. Yeah, no, the the voices in internally in, in AlphaTauri that, you know, everyone's very, very happy how he started. Very, you know, he he hasn't made any mistakes in quality. He hasn't made any mistakes in, in a race, which is, you know, something that we, we wanted to focus on this year because, you know, when he came in as a rookie, there, there were a couple of things, you know, he was making some pretty obvious mistakes. And uh, that I guess that comes with experience, right? And uh, I've definitely seen a, seen a, an improvement in his maturity and his approach to, to the races. And, and, you know, I'm I'm a big um, advocate of just bringing in a lot of calmness. So, you know, we, we have a bit of a mantra um, that kind of we talk about a little bit about calmness and how we deal with adversity. Mm. Um, we, we know that Formula One, there's a lot of parameters in this sport that's out of your control. And sometimes these drivers try to control what they can't control, and that's what can drive you insane. So, <laughs> Absolutely. So, uh, no, there's look, again, going to the question, I'll be honest, there's a lot of drivers that can win a race in in, in the right car for sure. sure. Like it's so, yes, I, I definitely do agree. I think if, if Yuki finds himself um, in a, in a competitive car, whether it's an Alphatari or, or in, in a different car in, in the future, I definitely see very positive traits in him that I think he has, he has the potential to win a race. I hate the P word. I hate potential. Cause for me, it means nothing unless you yeah. can do something with it. Um <laughs> <laughs> I'll never use it and I'll never, I'll never use it with my junior voice. Cause it's just, it's, it's a, it's a waste of a word. Hundred mm, um, percent. If he keeps working on what he's working, cause you know, th- we are, we're very in tune with what we need to work on. We're very in tune with what his weaknesses are. Um, if he keeps working on that. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to say that the, he definitely has um, yeah. The, the right capabilities to win a race and yeah, hopefully that's not too far around the corner. And yeah, the championship thing for me, like, that's still very vague, right? Like I think there's a handful of drivers that if they were in a strong car could win a championship. Just you know, like what's a strong car? Are we talking? Are we talking Red Bull this year? Because you know, I think <laughs> if anyone's at Red Bull this year, I think could win a championship. I think there's more than just the car. I think it's timing. Um, you know, 100%. where you, where you're at from your career career as well. So, yeah, yeah, I, I yeah. From what I'm saying, I'm going to say yeah. I, I'm going to go a, a four. I'm going to go four for you, kid. I'm, I'm putting a lot of belief in this kid. He's he's showing me some really, really positive things in the first five months that we worked together. My honest perspective on Yuki over, over since, since watching him from his F2 days, his speed was never the problem. He was always an incredibly fast driver. Right from I saw him in F2, he shot up through the juniors very quickly, got to F1. Speed was there, but inconsistent, made some mistakes. He's thrashed a lot of that out so far this season, and he's not finished a Grand Prix lower than 11th. And yeah. this was a team that was, you know, I'm not, I'm not being mean when I say this, they 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 were down the bottom of the field last year. That's just a, a, a statistical fact. And Sonoda is 
stepped up. He's he's getting them in the right positions where they can potentially score points. And he has done a couple of times. He was unlucky not to get to get a point in this race in Miami. Was race was maybe two laps longer. I think Sonoda gets a point off Magnuson right at the end. But yeah. as, I, as I joked, hey, K-Mag got, got America some free tacos. So everybody's a winner, <laughs> um, quite frankly. Yeah, we, we saw K-Mag after the race and he was sitting on the floor and he looked up to Yuki and he goes, one more lap and you had me. <laughs> <laughs> it would have been a nice revenge move from Jeddah, given that Magnuson beat him for a point in that one. Uh, yeah. And that was a, they had a great fight there as well. So we, we were denied a revenge match. We need that. We need that song because they're two, they're two very fun drivers uh, to watch on yeah. TV. Um, yeah, so I, I, I think they'll have some more battles this year, I think. I think so too. I think that the lower end of the field, I think, is a real bar fight this year. I think it's a very, very interesting. The back half of the table, I think, points are going to be at a premium down there. So there's going to be some, I think, some intense fighting because I think the value of a point is going to be very precious down there. I think the big four are locked out. I think Alpine are right are right around that sort of range as well. So we we might be talking. You could have a really really good day and maybe get one point out of it. So uh, that's how I feel. And the fact that Sonoda's got two already, I think, is very impressive. As you say about career and timing, to go back to Owen's take, yeah, so valuable. so many things have to have to go your way in F one. You know, you can be the most talented guy in the world, and if the politics don't work out, it does not matter. Um, so I'm I'm going to be on the fence. I'm going to say three. I don't normally say three. I've done it twice this episode. I'm ashamed of myself. Um, but <laughs> but um, I only it's not because I don't think Sonoda is good. I genuinely have him down as a driver of the year contender so far. I just think. The grand scheme of F1 is the problem, not Sonoda's talent. And that's, I agree. I agree uh, with that one as well. So, like, I'm not surprised that Michael went for what a cop out. Um, <laughs> but uh, I've got a little secret for you, Mike. We we kept one take in the back just for you. Okay. I promise you, it's not it's not going to get you in trouble with the HR department. Okay. But we, it was so good, we felt like we had to include it. It's from Crin at Special C, um, Ciatech. Forgive me for the pronunciation. Um, and he sent this one specifically just for you, Mike. He said, "Quote: Michael will continue to have trouble reining in Yuki." Quote: I love food, Sedona. He is so motivated by food; it's scary. <laughs> like. There we go. We will literally fly into a place and he's like, okay, what are we eating today? And that's literally all he cares about. I'm like, well, we need to train first. Yeah. He's like, yeah, but, but after that, after that, what are we eating? <laughs> so, so I'm, I'm already organizing dinners for Monaco. Um, and, and I'm not kidding you. So uh, he's just all about, we need to eat here. We need to eat there. And for me, you know what? I don't, I don't want to rein him in because like, like I said, right at the start of this podcast, my job is to make sure he's in a good mindset and, when we go to a nice dinner, um, whether it was, you know, Joe Stone Crab on the Wednesday night in Miami and had some amazing crab, he was just in like, you know, in a, in a great mood. And we went to Nobu on, on Sunday night and he, he couldn't have been any happier. So <laughs> I'm like, look, uh, a, a happy driver is always going to perform well. So uh, I'm definitely not going to be able to rein him in. I'm, I'm going to tell you right now, I'm, uh, I'm going to have to, uh, I think I'm just going to have to just, take the punches as it comes and just like, okay, cool. You want to, you want to eat like that? Well then you better train hard power because you have a weight to make. 
<laughs> I think that's the first six on Hot Takes Wednesday yes. history yes. with Michael on this one. I can't really score this one, but I had to leave that one in for Michael because I had a feeling he might enjoy that one, and I'm glad he did. And I think that's some fascinating insight. M- Michael, before we get out of here, plug yourself. Tell the good people of the world where they can find you. Yeah, you can find me on Instagram uh, at Michael Italiano is my handle. Or if you want a little bit more info and services on my coaching, you can go to my website, www.michaeltaliano.com. Also, could you tell Marcus Stoinis to go a little bit easy, just in case there's an outside chance he makes the Ashes squad? We you know we we we, we, we you know we have to, we have to get a basketball going. I'm just saying. <laughs> I'd love to see Stoin in the Ashes. I mean, he's played a lot of he's played a lot of cricket in England, so I think uh, I think he'd do just fine. If not, we'll certainly see him in the hundred. And I, look, I very much look for. I'll be thinking of you now. Now I see him out there. So uh, I, I didn't know he was he was he was one of your clients until until I did some digging for this episode. So that's very very cool to see as well. Michael, it's been an absolute pleasure, my friend. Thank you for coming on. Um, thanks to everyone for the WTF audience for listening. We'll be back next week for another edition of Hot Takes Wednesday. But until next time, I've been Dre Harrison. He's been Michael Italiano. See you next time. Take care.